Welcome again to Door Creek Church Online. So glad that you've joined us this Easter. Happy Easter, everyone. So I want to ask you a question. When you, when you hear these words, intense grief, mounting frustration, fear, nagging doubts, deep cynicism, lockdown, safer at home, what does it make you think of? Yeah, I know, it sounds a lot like this last year. In fact, it was about a year ago when I was pretty excited. I was thinking, wow, you know what? Maybe with this lockdown, we're gonna get through this and we'll be back for the first time at our campuses for Easter 2020, I thought. And here we are together again this Easter. And all that I described, you think is describing COVID-19. And actually, I was surprised that these are the very emotions and the very circumstances that surrounded the very first Easter. Amazing. And so we're coming to the end of John's gospel. And he's made it clear why he's written it in chapter 20, verse 31. He's written these things so that we'd believe a couple of things. First of all, who Jesus is. That he's the promised Savior, that he's the Son of God. And that through believing in him, we would find life in his name. Life abundant and full. And what we're gonna see here is he's been laying it all out from the very first miracle the uh, turning the water into the wine to walking on the water after the feeding of the 5,000 to the like penultimate miracle, the seventh sign, which was the raising of Lazarus. He now presents us with the resurrected Christ. And in doing so, he is giving us evidence to believe. He is helping us understand what it means to find life in Christ. And, and he is showing us that, that the message of the Easter story had us in view from the very, very beginning. So grab your Bible. We're in John's Gospel, chapter 20. And it breaks down into two parts. The first 18 verses are focused on the garden and a woman named Mary Magdalene, Mary of Magdala. And the second part, from verse 19 to 29, focuses in on the upper room, where the uh, disciples are in lockdown, not COVID lockdown, but crucifixion lockdown. And it focuses not on Mary, but one of the disciples. In fact, on Thomas, who we often call Doubting Thomas. So grab your Bible. We're in verse 1 of chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. By the way, this other disciple is John himself, the author, okay? The beloved disciple of Jesus. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. 
Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she went, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So we've got this garden scene focusing on Mary, this beautiful follower of Jesus that has a heart of love for Jesus. It's seen in her devotion, right? So we know from Luke's gospel, chapter 8, verse 2, that she had been rescued from these tormenting evil spirits that likely had her an invalid. And Jesus had healed her and rescued her. And so she loved Jesus for what he had done to her. She was one of the women that supported Jesus. She was a supporter, a benefactor, if you will. And so she was at his side in life. She was there in chapter 19 at the cross with Mary Jesus' mother, and she is faithfully serving him even in his death, trying to bring the burial process to conclusion because what Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus started on Friday wasn't finished because the sun was setting. It was Passover, couldn't do any more work. And so Mary, and we read in the other accounts, the other women came with spices to finish the burial. She was devoted. But her devotion was met with shock and with deep, deep sorrow. When she comes to the garden and sees that the tomb stone has been rolled away, all of a sudden she realizes there's no body and she can't find Jesus. But her surprise is not because she's a lunatic. She runs back to the disciples and gets the leadership, Peter and John, and says, come, come. something's happened somebody's taken the body and so there's a foot race and Peter and John run back to the tomb and and John actually the younger disciple outruns Peter and they see that it's true all that they see is Jesus grave clothes sat there on the bench like an empty cocoon the cloth separated just as it would have been in the burial just as it was for, for Lazarus, his body wrapped in linen strips and then a space here and then another cloth around his face. And there they were. And John believed in the disciples' return. But Mary's left at the tomb as John gives us his account. And she's overwhelmed with grief. The one she can't find is now the one that she can't even recognize. Whether it's because of her tears or because like Jesus did to the two, Cleopas and his friend, on the road to Emmaus in Luke's account, chapter 24, he prevented her from seeing, we don't know. All we know is she looks in again, and she sees the two angels, one at the head, one at the foot, and they ask her, woman, why are you crying? 
And then she must hear something rustling because she turns and she sees a man who she assumes is Joseph of Arimathea's gardener. And she says to the gardener, where, where have you laid him? Please tell me, have you moved the body? Because I want to go give Jesus' body a right burial. She, she's horrified in thinking that this one that she just saw humiliated and tortured on the cross would now have the extra humiliation of his body being desecrated. And so the gardener asks her, why are you crying just like the angels? And who is it that you're looking for? And it appears in the text that, that she's just riveted on the sadness of the empty tube that does not hold his body. And her conclusion at this time is someone has taken the body. Someone's taken the body. And then Jesus utters her name, Mary. And boom, the lights go on. And she knows that voice. And she turns and she looks at him. And she cries out, Rabboni, teacher, master, rabbi. And she takes hold of him. To which Jesus said, Mary, don't take hold of me. Not, not because his body couldn't be touched. In fact, in, in a few short verses, he's going to say to Thomas, take hold of me. To the disciples, put your hands through the nail prints of my hands. But Mary, Mary, I, I don't want you to just stay here with me because my work's not done. I'm ascending to the Father. The Spirit's yet to be distributed to my followers. And so go back and tell the disciples. So get this. Mary's the first apostle. Apostle means someone commissioned with a message, sent out with a message, commissioned by Jesus with the good news that Jesus is alive. And so she goes with the message to the disciples. And what we have here is this beautiful reminder that we have been given a mission and that the Easter story isn't just a, a come and see story. It's a go and tell story. And Jesus says, it's great that you want to hold on to me, Mary. But you know what? It's not just about you and me right now. It's about the rest of my plan going out to the world. And so you need to go tell your brothers and sisters so that they can tell other brothers and sisters, which has been going on now for 2,000 years. Jesus' words to Mary had you and me in mind. And Jesus' evidence to Mary is for our strengthening of our faith, the empty tomb, the resurrected body. And Mary shows us the beginnings of what it means to find life in his name so that her, her grief that overwhelmed her, her confusion that just had her head and mind swirling are settled with new joy and a confidence that his body wasn't stolen, that he's risen from the dead just as he said. And so Jesus turns our bitter grief into ecstatic joy through his presence, through his power, and through his perfect peace. And it's that very peace that becomes a key motif as we go to the second setting of the upper room and we focus in on Thomas and the disciples in verse 19. Read with me verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, 
Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means the twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. We don't know why. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands in his side, I will not believe. So, There's two scenes here. The first one is, it's that night, Easter night, in the upper room without Thomas. And then the second scene is going to follow on this. It's going to be a week later. So in scene one, what we meet up with are are the disciples, the nine of them. Remember, Judas hung himself. Thomas, we don't know where he is. But the other nine are in the upper room, right? Right? So the upper tent, the other ten are in the upper room, right? So here's what we see is they're locked in their fear right now. It's locked down in their fear. And why are they afraid? It's pretty easy. Here's what they know. The Jewish leadership has power. They have influence. They got Pilate who really thought he didn't deserve death to hand Jesus over to have him be crucified. And so they're... They're freaking out. They're afraid that they're followers of Jesus. Everybody knows that. They've been picked out of a crowd. They've been walking with Jesus for three and a half years. They're afraid that they're going to be next. And so Jesus comes to them in their fear. And he comes bringing peace. And he comes showing his hands and his side. And as they meet Jesus, who didn't use the door, John said, that was locked. All of a sudden he shows up, just like he went through the grave clothes and through the tomb. By the way, the the stone wasn't rolled back so that Jesus could get out. He's demonstrated that he can move through the material things of this world in his resurrected body and at the same time be held on to. Wow, resurrected body. So he shows up. And he offers peace, not just the greeting, but the same peace that he said, I offer you in chapter 14, verse 26, that the world cannot give. And and he gives them evidence. He gives them the evidence of his hands and of his side. And those who were gripped with fear and cowering in the corners of the upper room now are overcome with joy. But just like Mary Jesus doesn't let them stay there. He gives them a commission. Verse 21, look, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you guys out. So we're not gonna have a party here in the upper room right now. You need to get on with my work in this world because I came for the whole world and you are to bring the message of my life and death and resurrection so that people will believe and find life in me. And so God never calls his people to do something that he doesn't equip them to do. And that's what verse 22 
is all about the Holy Spirit, that he breathes on them. Just like Genesis 2, 7. Now remember John opens his gospel in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he has all these connections to Genesis chapter 1. And here I believe at the end of his gospel, he has a connection with Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 where it says that God fashioned Adam out of the dirt and then it says he breathed in him through his spirit going out of him life. And Jesus is giving them life-giving spirit, even his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And whether they got it in that moment or seven weeks later, as we read about it on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, all we know is that spirit is going to empower them to deliver the message around the world even when they would be beaten for it and die for it that they would have the courage and the power of the spirit behind their message to see God use his word in their testimony to bring people to life and to faith and so there's just a point of application for those of us like those in the upper room who are followers of Jesus and to ask a few questions. Have we tapped into this understanding that the Spirit is the engine to the new life that we have in Jesus Christ? Are we tuned into this great gift that Jesus said, it's better that I leave so you get the Spirit? The Spirit that he talks about in chapter 14 and chapter 16 that will live inside of us and give us new life, convicting the world of sin and pointing it out in our lives, keeping the spotlight on Jesus and helping Jesus' character to become more of our character so that we can be mighty instruments of God in this world. And I'm just wondering, is anybody stuck like, like Mary Magdalene wanting Jesus all to ourselves? Jesus says, don't keep me to yourself. I wonder if any of us are, are cowering in fear like those in lockdown in the upper room. Jesus says, trust me, my power in you, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, will give you a courage, will give you the words to say as you witness for me in this world and the life that you lead and the words that you share. Anybody confused about our mission? No, there's the second scene. And if the disciples are locked down in fear, uh, the second scene in verses 26 through 29 shows us that Thomas is locked down in doubt. Look at verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. That is in that upper room. The same room where Jesus celebrated the Passover that Thursday night before he was crucified. And again, Thomas was with them this time, right? Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And among them, excuse me, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen. He's talking to us, you guys. 
Blessed are those who have not seen the resurrected body of Christ and yet have believed the eyewitness testimony of Thomas and the other disciples who have given us God's word. So remember Thomas before we beat him up for his doubting nature. He's the guy in chapter 11 who after the disciples warned Jesus don't go to Bethany where Lazarus uh, needs you because they're going to kill you there. He says well I'm prepared to go and die. Let's go die with Jesus. So he's this great guy who has not just great doubts but because of Jesus showing up and giving him exactly what he needed not a slap on the wrist, not a guilt trip, not a shame journey. No, he gave him just what he asked for, his resurrected body. What did he say? Unless I see his nail print hands and the, and the wound in his side, and that's exactly what Jesus does. And now this one who is locked into doubt is locked into his faith like never before. And though his faith was a process and a battle, if you will. Jesus' grace was there, changing his cynical, skeptical, doubting heart into a strong, unwavering, believing heart. Waffling no longer, he confesses Jesus as my Lord and my God. And it's right there in verse 29 where Jesus speaks to us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Can you say that? That I haven't seen the resurrected Christ, but I believe the testimony of those who did. Paul will tell us in 1 Corinthians that there are over 500 people that witnessed. I'm going to believe the evidence that God's word has given us. Maybe you're thinking right now, well, that's good for you. But how in the world do you expect me to believe that which I haven't seen? Well, I want you to think about something because one of the things that John does in his gospel is he presents these seven miracles. And like right before this miracle of Jesus' resurrection, the penultimate miracle, and it's the raising of Lazarus. And what he tells us is people actually saw Lazarus, who they knew was dead, Four days in the tomb and they saw him resurrected to new life and they still didn't believe. So John's making a case that seeing doesn't always bring faith. Because faith is also a heart issue, not just a head issue. The second, I, I want you to consider Jesus' kindness to the cynics. Uh, back even before that, to those who murdered him. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they are doing. To Judas who betrayed him and he, and he holds, off a, holds out a peace branch again and calls him friend. To Peter who denied him and will catch up with his grace to him in the next chapter, chapter 21. But just, just focus in on Thomas, the doubter, and Jesus' kindness to him. And I want you to understand, you're not alone in your doubts. You're not the first person who's doubted. Don't get stuck in this revisionist history that says, well, those people were Neanderthals back in the first century. 
What we have in this account is there's all kinds of doubting. There's all kinds of confusion. In fact, when Matthew wraps up his gospel and Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, it says that some still doubted. So examine the evidence. Because that's what John has given us. This is a great gift. Examine the evidence and, and question your own doubts. And what is the evidence that he's given us? The empty tomb, the grave clothes, the resurrected body of Jesus, the eyewitness accounts, the Old Testament scriptures, verse 9, the transformed lives of Thomas and the other disciples who would give up their lives for Jesus Christ. He wouldn't do that for a hoax or a lie. Consider the changes that Jesus brought as they believed and found new life in him. Mary's grace and healing, this newfound joy and clarity from her grief and confusion. The disciples cowering in fear have this amazing, bold courage. Thomas's fickle doubt turned into this bold conviction and confession. And so Jesus offers us blessing this Easter for those who haven't seen. That's us. But who believe. He offers you new life. The blessing of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who created this world out of nothing, who came to this world to live for you, who came to the cross to die for you, who is powerful over death, that he rose again from the dead. John chapter 20. He lives for you. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to bless you with new life and restore you to the fullness of your humanity beyond your wildest dreams. John 20, 30 and 31 says this. In John's gospel, he ends this part of the, the section which many believe is the end of his gospel, chapter 21 being the epilogue. Jesus performed many other signs, many other miracles in the presence of his disciples and others that were witnessed by others which are not recorded in this book. I've just given you seven, he's saying. But these are written, John's saying, about his gospel that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Savior, the anointed one, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's what Jesus is offering you today. Would you receive life in his name through faith in Christ? Let me say something to the kids that are listening to me right now. You are not too young if you understand that Jesus is God's son who died on the cross and rose again for you, you're not too young to put your faith and trust in Jesus and say yes to Jesus. Many of us did that as a young, young person. You are not, you're not too early if you're a student thinking, man, I got so much more to live. No, the fullness of life, guys, is found in Christ. And you're not too old thinking that maybe it's too late for me. It wasn't too late for the thief on the cross. It's not too late for you. I want to give you an opportunity to express your desire to follow Jesus in, in a simple prayer. There's no magic in words. The Bible is clear that if we confess with our mouth 
Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We will receive this new life, forgiveness, hope, purpose, satisfaction, joy. So I'm going to pray this prayer. It goes like this. Dear God, I need your forgiveness. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead for me. I place my trust in you and submit every area of my life under your loving leadership. By your spirit, strengthen me to live for you, pointing others to you. If this is the desire of your heart, and right now you feel God tugging on your heart, that's the Holy Spirit, then I I invite you to pray along with me right now. Let's pray. Father God, We bless you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, for living that perfect life, that you could be the perfect substitute on our behalf, that we could be forgiven and find life in you. And so, Lord, give us faith. Strengthen our faith. And hear those who pray to receive you now as their Lord and God. Go ahead and pray silently with me, dear God. I need your forgiveness. Jesus, I believe you died for me on the cross and rose from the dead. I place my trust in you and submit every area of my life to your loving leadership. By your spirit, strengthen me to live for you, pointing others to you. Amen. If you prayed this prayer, let us know. We want to catch up with you and all that God is doing. And we have some material to help you just grow and take the next steps. And so it's really easy to do this. All right, guys? Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to text, I said yes, to 608-292-3456. Again, I said yes, one word, okay? Lower caps. I said yes. 608-292-3456. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Happy Easter, everyone.